Was Fnatic's first trading card release a miss? If you read the comments, you'd think so. But today, we're gonna debate if those commenters were right or wrong. Hello, sports card investors, and welcome to the week where Kentucky fans all over the nation weep. They go home in shame. This is the beginning of the end of Kentucky's tournament run. Doug, another year of disappointment is upon us. You've gotten used to this as a Kentucky fan. How far do you have Florida going in your uh, NCAA bracket? Florida, Florida is gonna be holding up a championship trophy this year. It may be the NIT trophy, but it'll be a championship trophy nonetheless. Anyway, welcome to the show, Hammer. Always good to be back. Kind of welcome to the show, Doug. Did you catch the end of the last episode? Is, it, is that what this is about we, right we've now? Got, we've got a lot okay. to talk about today. We're going to get on topic now. we got a lot to talk about. Big news in the sports card hobby this week. One of the things that happened was Fanatics released their first set. And in fact, they, they actually sold it last week. Uh, but we've gotten some of the box openings starting to take place this week. And in fact, on Monday, earlier this week here, on our Sports Card Investor channel, we opened the box. And the box, for those of you that didn't see that, it was Zero Cool is the name of the brand, and it was V Friends. That was the first set. It wasn't a sports card set. And I think a lot of people were surprised that Fanatic's first trading card set that they released wasn't a sports card set. Now, technically, Fanatic's bought Tops back at the beginning of January, so you could say that, well, Topps has released some sets, so those are kind of fanatic sets. But this was a brand new brand called Zero Cool, and the purpose of the brand is to create cards for culture, to create cards for musicians and artists and influencers. And they collaborated with Gary Vee, and they released his V-Friend characters as part of the first set. I was entertained opening the box. I'm an NFT collector. I've, you know, I, I've been in that space with Gary Vee's NFTs and everything like that. The, the characters don't, don't appeal to me too much, but I appreciate it. I respect it. And I was fine opening the box, but man, the comments were rough. The comments have been rough. Your comments have been rough. And so many of you said this was a miss for Fnatic's first trading card set. Now, I've got it. I've got a strong opinion that you commenters are wrong, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But Hammer, were the commenters right in your opinion? Was this a miss for Fnatic's first trading card set? So, you know, I, I do think there, it was a bit of a miss. I thought there were some good things, but I thought there were some things that I didn't necessarily like. I like the fact that they were able to be transparent in how many boxes were produced, how many boxes were released. So that's something that the trading card community has been looking for, that kind of transparency. True so print run info. Has me they really excited for you know what is going to be able to be done with Fanatics moving forward and how they can sort of progress the sports card community and in uh, the business. So, but, you know... I'm really happy for the for the V friends and the Gary V community that they were able to have something like this. Uh, but to me, it, it seems like Josh Luber maybe lost uh, some sort of bet to Gary V a while back. Oh and, no! Oh no! And this was maybe their their way to, to to maybe solve that. You know? Oh geez! You know, this was something that I was hoping that you know the sports card community could get kind of their first their first lick at, being that we've seen so many problems over the past few years and even before then. So. 
you know, I'm happy for those VFriends supporters and things like that, but I was hoping to see maybe something a little more relevant to sports. I mean, my dad, who's, uh, you know, been in this hobby for 50 years, I can't even explain to him what this really even is. I think I would need a seven-hour TED Talk to be able even to get to the portion of it where I'm actually talking about the box and what, and what is in it. Okay, okay, well one thing is clear, and, and you, you and your dad were not the target audience for this. And that's one of the things I will say to the audience out there, you know, this is a new brand of cards that Josh Luber and Fanatics created that is hitting a different audience. It's hitting people that traditionally probably haven't been into trading cards. It's right. hitting people who who follow artists, follow musicians, follow influencers, buy NFTs. A lot of those folks are not necessarily the same folks who are collecting sports cards today. In my opinion, it's it's brilliant because it's widening that reach. It's bringing more people into trading cards through other channels. And this clearly was for, for that audience. But you can't argue with the fact that it's sold out. So, and, and that's the thing, right? Even though even though the commenters on this show may not have been the audience, it got over 21,000 bids for this product. It quickly sold out. Doug, did it appeal to you? What are your thoughts on this? No, it did not appeal to me at all. Like, that's just not for me. But am I disappointed that the first run from Fanatics was this zero cool pop culture product? No, I'm not disappointed. What I am disappointed in is how quickly the hobby is to just be mad about something. Reading the comments, I'm just kind of blown away. Well, I'm not really blown away. I sort of come to expect it at this point. But it's disappointing that everyone has just taken that approach that uh, I don't like it, so it's the death of the hobby. Uh, boo fanatics, you've ruined sports cards. This isn't a sports card launch. Um, I don't like the product, so you know what I'm going to do? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not going to buy the boxes. I'm not right. going to buy the singles. Right. And I'm not going to get online and proclaim the death of the hobby. We've got sports cards still. Tops and Panini are still making sports cards. If anything, this is a really good test run to see how blind yes, Dutch auction yes, works, which are pretty yes, awesome, by the way. I really yes. like that. It's a great test run to see what the transparency of the hobby could look like going forward with print runs, something you mentioned. So I'm not mad about this in general. I don't like it. It doesn't appeal to me. I'm not going to buy it. They're going to do more. Spoiler alert, Zero Cool is going to continue to do more pop culture more. stuff. It's not going to be sports related. So, I mean... I don't know what you do at home. Do you turn on the TV and if it's a show you don't like, you just sit there and yell at it until it goes away or do you change the channel? Like, there's just go buy sports cards. They're, they still exist. And you know, we had Josh Luber on live with us on Instagram a couple of nights ago and there are a few interesting nuggets that came out of that. First of all, Zero Cool as a brand, they're gonna do a ton of stuff. Tons of different card releases, all kinds of culture collaborations. They've got a collaboration going on with Nike actually right now. They're gonna have another major collaboration coming out. He said some cool things. Like he said, what if we were to combine the Zero Cool brand with like athletes with some of the sports card stuff? What if we were to put out sets for various cities? And here's a Chicago set that includes your top athletes from Chicago, also includes your top musicians from Chicago, also includes your top politicians like Barack Obama autos are in there. I was like, ooh, that's kind of an interesting collaboration. You could buy a, a set of Chicago cards or boxes of Chicago cards. There's a lot that can be done with it. Doug, you made a really great point. We got to move on to the next topic, but you made a really great point. This was a test run. They used Zero Cool to test the technology around the, the blind Dutch auctions. It went really well. It's a very fair way of selling these products. To me, this was a test. It was a very successful test. And even though the sports card audience didn't get it, didn't love it, I understand it. But in my opinion, it was a very successful test and I think a very good sign for what we're gonna see from Fanatics 
with sports cards in the future. Definitely much more excited about the innovation of the project than necessarily what the project was about. So totally agree in that sense. Now bring on Topps Chrome Basketball. There you go, Topps Chrome <laughs> Basketball coming soon. All right guys, we gotta jump into our next topic and that is the data dive. So this past weekend, this past Saturday on the Market Movers YouTube channel, Teapot did a great episode where Teapot talked about, he said, hey, are, are all cards gonna become worthless? What he really meant, if you listen to the article, is the fact that there is a lot of speculation that takes place around rookie cards and around prospect cards, you know, with baseball and that type of thing. And the first year that these cards come out, there are a lot of different cards that are worth a lot of money because people are chasing all these different rookies and all these different prospects. But over time, the number of cards that actually are worth something five years from now, 10 years from now, is such a small number because many of these careers don't pan out, right? Have you, Doug, have you been caught in this before? What is your opinion? Is this true that a lot of cards that people are hyping today actually become worthless over time? Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, I wouldn't say worthless, but worthless, I guess. <laughs> like right now we're in a period where we've, we've hit this huge peak in the sports card market and it's come down and it started to plateau a little bit and it's, it's more sustainable. So I think you're less susceptible to getting you know, your feelings hurt with a, a, a bad investment right now. But it's definitely the case that unless you go on to be an all, uh, just a Hall of Famer, multiple time All-Star, world champion, um, speculative prices aren't going to sustain. They just aren't, period. So that's what you're going to see You've seen it in the past, you've seen it throughout the 90s, the 80s, whatever the case may be. And for a lot of people that have only jumped into the hobby in the past couple of years as it's re come back, they may not just have that insight. They may be uh, you know, buying into prospects, not understanding what that's going to look like 10 years from now. Prospecting is a short-term game for the most part. You, know, you might hit that home run that does turn into the next big thing and you know, it has long-term value. But for the most part, you're buying a guy that you want to move in the next two, three years, if not much, much sooner. Uh, that's kind of your window to take advantage of that kind of stuff. If that's what you're doing is speculating for, the for, for investment. Yeah. You know, and one, one of the things, Hammer, that I saw, I actually did a whole video about this on the Sports Card Investor channel probably a year or so ago where I looked at like the, the uh, at that time, the 2019 uh, basketball rookie class. And I, I, the numbers were something like, there were 11 or 12 players from that class whose PSA 10 cards were worth more than $100. And then when you went back to 2018, it was something like nine. And when you went back to 2017, all of a sudden it was something like six. And then you went, you went all the way back to 2013, and I think you had two. I think it was like CJ McCollum and Giannis that were the two that were you know, over, maybe there was a third, but it was such a small number. And every year it, it stepped down and stepped down. It did illustrate this concept that like, you know, a lot of the guys who are hot and worth something today may not be down the road. Is this, does this jive with what you see? And, as, and I know you're a big baseball collector, so this probably plays out even more there, there with prospects, I would suspect. Totally. And I think some of it comes down to too is, you know, each year there is a new rookie class, which means there is new focus put on different players, which is why I think you see, like you just mentioned, that each year you went back, it was less and less players because there was more relevant players that were on the forefront that people were starting to collect. Now, if you're talking about, you know, looking at long-term, so like for baseball, a guy like Wander Franco for me, he's going to have to put up Juan Soto, yeah. Ronald Acuna type numbers for a long time in order for, I think, a lot of these card prices to hold water over time. So I do think there's kind of a misconception and in terms of people 
you know, buying and thinking they're going to have to hold long term. Nowadays, it's, it's really about knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. I mean, if two or three years from now, Wander Franco is not playing out people hoped and expected, those people are probably going to be looking for the next prospect. They're going to be going after the next guy who has hype. So I think nowadays it's more about knowing when you have to sell if this guy isn't going to be the next face of the league. Yeah, excellent, excellent point, Hammer. Absolutely. Time's up on that topic, but we're going to get in the mailbag. Before we do, take a look at this. Guys, go download the Sports Card Investor app in the App Store right now. It's free. Or if you already have it on your phone, load it back up, update it, because there's been some great new features added over the last couple of months, such as the ability to freely search for any card, hundreds of thousands of cards, as well as a cool shuffle mode. It's fun. Hit the shuffle button, and you just see random cards from our database of hundreds of thousands of cards. It's fun just to browse through and see some of these awesome cards you've never seen before. That's the Sports Card Investor app. Okay, guys, it's time for our mail day. And what we do is we pull a couple of questions every week from the YouTube comments and we answer them right now. So any question you want to hear answered on this show next week, leave, the, leave that question in the YouTube comments at this time. One question was, how much time do you spend speculating on raw versus graded cards? This is a really interesting question because the world has changed with graded cards with the fact that obviously we had PSA shut down for a long time and that type of thing. Now we're starting to see more, you know, more openings there for people to get cards graded. But Doug, I'll start with you. Raw versus graded, where do you spend your time? Sure, yeah, it's a really interesting question and it really depends on what I'm doing. Like we're kind of entering what people are referring to as the junk slab era yeah. now where there's so much graded uh, card available right now. But it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm buying for personal, for my personal collection, I'm totally fine with buying a raw card and you know tossing it into one touch and it's on display, right? Um, or just go buying a PSA 9 or even a PSA 8. I don't care if it's going to be for my personal collection. Uh, raw cards as an investment is really tricky though. Uh, we hit a point where when PSA first shut down and then came back with higher prices, you could actually get really high quality raw cards because they weren't worth grading or it wasn't possible to grade at that time. Now with you know the, the cheapest PSA price, and obviously there's other grading companies that you can go for. I'm not you know, just focused on one company, but the main player in this, PSA being a $50 sub uh, at the cheapest right now, that's not going to work for a lot of mid or lower end cards. So you can find those opportunities to still buy raw. But for me personally, I usually expect if someone is selling a card raw, they've already inspected it and it's not worth grading. You're buying a raw card probably knowing it's not going to gym, right? Um, so I'm either going to buy them in lots where I can kind of go and sort through myself or, you know, buy them as a lot where I can buy them and then flip them as a lot and, and make, you know, a little bit of money that way. But it, it can be a little bit of an arbitrage opportunity to buy raw and flip raw, but typically no, it's not something that I'm really interested in. I prefer 
my raw card's coming from breaks. I either want to rip it, sure. pack fresh myself, or get somebody to pull it Because then me. you know the, the idea that people had sorted through yeah. and, and taken the best ones out for grading, and now the ones they're selling raw have condition issues. Right. That's not the case if it comes fresh from a break, right? So well, it can still be the, the case, Well, I guess it can but... still be. I guess the person who got it could take a quick look yeah. and be like, ah, I'm just going to sell that one raw. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Hammer? Yeah, so, I mean... You know, because it's interesting, you have PC, you have investment, um, and you also have to look at the, you know, the errors that you're collecting. So like for ultra modern, I, I'm usually going to rip it myself so then I can inspect the card myself. Point, yeah. And if I am buying graded for ultra modern, I'm usually going with the 10. So, but as somebody who also likes to collect, you know, 90s inserts and early Topps Chrome 2000 numbered stuff, that's where, you know, some of the graded versus raw, I try not to focus on that stuff too much because, you know, some of these cards are just so rare, you're just happy to have it in hand. Um, but also those could be more for PC things, so you're not necessarily worried about making you know, a, a, an investment play on it, but that's generally where I'm at. I like to be able to have exposure in both areas. Yeah. I think it's a great point. I think, yeah, certainly as a collector, a lot of times it doesn't matter. A lot of my, I've got a massive, massive Gator collection and most of those cards aren't graded. Budgetary concerns as well. Like, yeah. You know, you may not be able to afford graded cards. You might just need to go raw. Yeah. Yeah, but but as an investor, if it's a long-term investment in a big card, personally, I'm always going to want that graded. So anyway, all right, second mail mailbag question. This is a good one. Which NFL player is going to be most impacted in the hobby after all of this offseason movement? And we've seen a lot of it, right? We've seen, obviously, Russell Wilson. You know, that's a huge move. Deshaun Watson's, you know, going somewhere, right? We've got, we've, we've had all kinds of things There's happen. A, some Carson Wentz, Tampa Bay, is, you know. Unretired? I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, some, some, some guy in Tampa Bay, which actually... Now there's a real for, quarterback for competition being, in Tampa. Being, being a Trask being or a Brady. Cow, that is true. That is true. I still think at some point Trask will come in for Brady, take over, lead him to the Super Bowl, just like Brady came in for Drew Bledsoe. We're going to see it happen again. And my guy Kyle Trask leading the way. He's the next Brady. All right. But uh, Hammer, who do you have your eye on this NFL offseason with all this chaos going on? So for me, it's got to be Rus the Russell Wilson move. I mean, this really shakes things up. Because if you're looking at the AFC West now, you know, you've got Mahomes, Sacks. you've got Herbert, oh, yeah. now you've got Wilson. So from a legacy standpoint. You're just passing over Derek Carr? So we're not giving any? All right, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we'll, 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 we're fine. We'll let others talk about that. We're fine. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it really shakes things up from a legacy standpoint. I mean, you obviously have Patrick Mahomes at the head of it. But you got three guys now that are going to be battling. Somebody legacy-wise, it's not going to turn out how maybe some of these investors or collectors that are buying these guys are going to turn out. And if you look at the non-QB standpoint, if I'm holding DK Metcalf right now, I'm not really too sure how I'm feeling. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to wide receivers, a lot of it is about who was throwing you the ball. Cooper Cup was able to be accelerated to a top player this year because of the quarterback move that happened in LA. So that's something that I'm also keeping an eye on in terms of outside of the QBs, who are some, maybe some skilled players that are also going to be benefactors or Absolutely. people that are going to be at a disadvantage yeah. in some of these moves. That's, that's a great point. Jerry Judy, man. Jerry Judy is going to get some balls in Denver right. now. We'll see what about you duck that's exactly where my brain goes is the butterfly effect that it has when these quarterbacks are moving teams everybody of course sees the quarterback uh you know in their new spot but then what does it do to the rest of the team the parts around them so we're looking at, at russell wilson and we're thinking jerry judy or we're thinking sell dk metcalf right because what's the quarterback room situation in seattle now it's uh jake from uh oh geno smith oh and boy. uh oh and drew Locke. Yeah. so yeah um 
Sorry if you've got a lot of DK, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure that out. And then we've got Deshaun Watson on the move, and he's rumored to a bunch of different teams now. Uh, we, we saw Baker Mayfield recently have some cryptic tweet about, you know, goodbye Browns, or not necessarily goodbye, but it was very weird. It, was, it felt like a goodbye without saying goodbye. So we, we see, we're seeing a lot of movement right now, and you're going to see those, those price fluctuations on the skill players that are associated with those teams. You'll see Nick Chubb. You'll see Amari Cooper at the Browns possibly be elevated. Uh, or if he goes to the Panthers, you'll see maybe something from McCaffrey. Or if he you know, ends up with the Falcons, maybe Kyle Pitts becomes worth uh, you know, investing Gosh, in. Gosh, we need receivers with the Falcons. Man. Yeah, we really it's do. It's brutal right now. Yeah, that, 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 that's a tough situation. But, yeah, I think that's really where most speculators are going to focus their attention is the butterfly effect yeah. that it has. Not so much the quarterback itself. Quarterbacks always carry a value, and you kind of know what these guys are at this point. Unless they are going to a, a situation where they're going to be legit Super Bowl contenders, the more focus should be on the butterfly effect to the skill players. It's fun. This is this is part of the yeah. fun of it, right? I mean, you know, it's, specula it's speculation for sure. It's short-term flipping, that type of thing. But this is part of the fun of being into sports card investing, that you can take chances and try to figure out how all of this is actually going to play out in the sports card market this fall. And let's not forget Aaron Rodgers, too. I know people yeah, are focused course. on him, but this affects Jordan Love, and it also affects Justin Fields, because yeah. now Aaron yeah, Rodgers is going to stay in that Love, division for a yeah. while. Hey, this show has also been fun. Hammer, thank you. Doug, thank you. Thank Final you. question, Hammer. Is Kentucky going to get eliminated in the round of 64 or the round of 32? Which one? They're going to win the likely? region. They're going to win the region? No, they're not going to As a non-college basketball even, guy, they're going to win the just, region. Just, you didn't even make it to the finals of the SEC tournament. I just tournament. got a great idea. You didn't make it to the finals of the SEC tournament. Did you guys even play in the SEC tournament? We, we, uh, we're, we were preparing for our big NIT matchups. I thought NIT stand for not in tournament. No, yeah. no, NIT, no, no, no. Would you, yeah, this is a good question. Would you rather win the NIT or would you rather get bounced in the round of 32? You're, you're close to what I'm ready to propose. Let's, let's have a little friendly wager. Who goes farther in the respective tournament? Who wins more games, Florida in the NIT or Kentucky in the NCAA tournament? And then you know, we'll, we'll have some sort of prize in line. Maybe the comment section can, Let's do it. can propose Let's uh, do what, it. The, what the loser now, has I think, to do. I think, I think the NIT is less teams, right? It's only 32, I think. I think. Hey, that's fine. So we're, but we're just going to go around. How many rounds do you advance? How many rounds do you advance? All right. So you got, you got an extra round. You got to advance. You get home court advantage. I, get a little, I, get, I, yeah. I like it. We're on. We're on. We're putting a better box of cards on the line. Who's going to win? Box Let us cards. know in the comments. Florida or Kentucky. The Gators are still going to be dancing. In the NIT. What? All right. Anyway, appreciate you guys watching. Download that Sports Card Investor app. If you already have it on your phone, check it out with a free search and shuffle mode and all that kind of stuff. It is updated and it is awesome. It's the Sports Card Investor app. Hey guys, if you like the show, please hit that like button. Give us a subscribe. Hit that little bell icon. We'll see you back in a couple days with our next episode. Take care.